Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the HBO Max Movie Club with me, your host, Matt Rogers. And I'm really excited today. See, guys, I'm going to bail on this. I'm trying to do a Drew Barrymore impression, but Chloe Feynman, I am not. Not that it's even a difficult impression to do. I'm just not nailing it on tonight. Um, Perhaps if you ever saw me in person, you'd understand with a visual that I'm sort of doing better than you'd think because I'm sort of talking out of the side of my mouth. But look, I'm not an impressionist. Lauren isn't calling. All this to say, today on HBO Max Movie Club, we are some lucky fuckers because we are talking all things Drew Barrymore. We're going to get into the film of the day, The Wedding Singer, in just a bit. But the thing is, there's just so much to discuss with Drew. It was really hard to pick a film to narrow all this in on because she's just got such an incredible filmography and you can actually see so much of her work on HBO Max right now. A lot of her films are streaming. So please get on the platform and always get on the platform, but especially today, make it a Drew Barrymore evening tonight and check out her films. I mean, The Wedding Singer, like I said, we're going to talk about it, but I also watched Grey Gardens last night. Definitely her best performance. I mean, but I'll mention more of her films in just a sec. Let's go back, back to the beginning, as Hilary Duff iconically once said. Drew Barrymore was born on February 22nd, 1974. That means she a Pisces, okay? And this matters to her. I know energetically it seems like Drew Barrymore would be into astrology, and guess what she is? <laughs> she was born in Culver City, California. She's really a Hollywood girl to Jade Barrymore and John Drew Barrymore. She was born into an acting dynasty, the Barrymores. Her great-grandparents were Maurice Barrymore and Georgie Drew Barrymore, as well as Maurice Costello and May Costello. Her grandparents are Dolores Costello and John Barrymore. Now, John Barrymore is likely the most acclaimed actor of his generation. So just know that the lineage is popping. Again, like pretty much all of her relatives and all of her descendants were in the business in some way. And her godmother was actually Sophia Loren. So Barrymore grew up on Poinsettia Place in West Hollywood. And uh, like I said, she was a Hollywood girl, which results in, you guessed it, some trouble. So Being as famous as she was from such an early age, and I think we all know the big old film that sort of catapulted her into superstardom, which was E.T., she was sort of around a lot of adults and started experimenting with things you'd normally try around 21, 22 at age 9, 10, 11. She 
apparently had her first drink of alcohol at 11 years old. She was a regular at Studio 54 in New York, and her constant partying did become a popular subject with the media. She eventually stayed for three months with the singer David Crosby and his wife, just to be around people who were more committed to sobriety. And by the time the mid-90s rolled around, she had pretty much completely rehabilitated herself, and she started working again in films. Probably most famously, Scream. I mean, she has the iconic opening of Scream. You might remember what essentially is a cameo in Batman Forever as Sugar, the Sugar and Spice duo, who are Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face's girls, his dolls. And then rolled around 1997, we were given The Wedding Singer, which is our big movie of today. And she was an enormous star at this time, 22 years old. And, you know, this film comes out and thus begins her sort of iconic screen pairing with Adam Sandler. And uh, I would say that this is the film that really solidified her back in the Hollywood consciousness. Shortly after this, she would do one of my favorite movies that she's ever done, which is Ever After. It's her interpretation of Cinderella. That's a great movie with Angelica Houston in it as well as her evil stepmother. You got to check that one out. She's also famous for Never Been Kissed, Riding in Cars with Boys, and another one of my favorites, Charlie's Angels. So she was actually also a producer on this, the reboot of Charlie's Angels, which is so great. If you haven't seen it, you must. Her, Cameron Diaz, who's actually her best friend to this day, and of course, Lucy Liu. And there was a sequel to that, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, which added Demi Moore in an iconic villainous performance. Nowadays, she's got a new iteration in her career with the Drew Barrymore show. It's a relatable, fun, really, really cute daytime show. And yeah, she's having a moment. She gets to bring on the big celebrities that she has known for, I guess, decades upon decades. She's now uh, approaching 50 years old. So she's known some of these Hollywood types for literal years and years and years. There's really fun content on that show when she's got like a big movie star from yesteryear on. Um, And it's just a really, really, really fun and great show. Now, getting into The Wedding Singer, this film was released on February 13th, 1998. It was directed by Frank Karasi, who was a longtime collaborator with Adam Sandler, and written by Tim Herlihy, who was also a longtime collaborator with our boy Adam. And the budget was only $18 million, which was huge because it earned $123.3 million worldwide in ticket sales. A big old, big old, big old hit. It actually opened second in the U.S. with $18.8 million behind Titanic. So not necessarily almost there, but uh, a big movie at the time, you know, especially for something that came out during the era of Titanic, which was certainly eating up all the air. It won an MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss. I'm going to get into that a little bit later on uh, this episode with our guest. Leonard Clady of Variety says, Director Frank Karasi and scripter Tim Herlihy work in concert to maintain a quality of farce rooted in human comedy. Roger Ebert actually did give a negative review. He said the screenplay reads like a collaboration between Jekyll and Hyde. Okay, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day. And Boy George actually responded to the film as well, saying that when he saw Alexis Arquette doing an impersonation of him and singing Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? He thought it was hilarious. This film, like I said, is thought back as one of Adam Sandler's best comedies and it's really a 
it's it's actually gone beyond just being a film. It was actually an acclaimed Broadway musical for a while. It actually earned several Tony nominations. And that's because it's one of those films that stands the test of time. Fun fact, Carrie Fisher actually worked on the script and Adam Sandler was a wedding singer before fame. Okay. So he's not just rocketing these vocals for nothing. He's got the practice. He's put the years in. This was the first of three Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore collaborations, a trilogy, if you will. And everyone else in this movie is incredible as well. It features not only Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, but Christine Taylor, Alan Covert, Angela Featherstone, Matthew Glave, Alexis Arquette, and Billy Idol as himself. If you don't know the story of this, Adam Sandler plays Robbie Hart. He's a wedding singer in Ridgefield, New Jersey. He's singing at a wedding. He's, you know, obviously very good at what he does. And he tells the audience he's going to get married very shortly himself. They're all excited for him. There's oohs and ahs. Everybody, he gets stood up at a wedding. I mean, his it's just, it's devastating. He completely falls to the depths. He's completely fallen out of love with love until he meets a waitress, Drew Barrymore, who charms him, and pretty much the rest is history. I do have to say, he does have to get her out of a relationship with a pretty uh, tough douchebag, but, you know, it's a romantic comedy. You can all kind of sense that this is going to go a certain way. Now, we are fully blessed today uh, because we actually have not only a huge fan of this movie, but someone I'm a huge fan of in general, and I have a feeling y'all love her as well. It is the one and only Darcy Carden, here to talk all things Drew and The Wedding Singer. And we're going to start that conversation right now. Hello, Darcy. Oh my god. <laughs> Matthew. You are Drew Barrymore-ish in your energy. That's a huge compliment. That What could be a better compliment? Drew Barrymore's number one thing is her energy. Can I tell you, like, there is something, like, and I don't know how you feel, but when I was younger, I used to say regularly and routinely that she was my favorite actress. I remember, like, maybe it's because her movies were really hitting in, like, that formative area for me, like, late 90s, early 2000s, like, it was the era of Drew, but I used to say, Drew Barrymore, no questions asked. Yeah, she was, she was a huge, like, and you're saying just, it was a given, it was just a given, right? It was just like an answer that was like so obvious and top of mind. Right. I think because of that effortless charm that I only realized until I was older that you can't, you don't just have that on camera. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? I know. This is a power. And she had it. I mean, if we want to go back to the ET days, like let's she had go it. Back. A, sh- let, let's take it to the beginning. She had <laughs> it. It is so a part of who she is. It was not like learned or whatever. I mean, if obviously she was incredible when she was a kid as an actress in movies like E.T., but did you ever watch her on, like, Johnny Carson? Yeah, she had, like, a natural charm. It's crazy. I mean, it's truly, like, like one in a zillion. So, yeah, that I think it's, like, whatever she had decided to do, acting, being a waitress, like, whatever it was, she would have been your favorite because she just has the thing. I mean, and speaking of her as a waitress, she plays a waitress in this film, and so she, mm-hmm. she kind of plays like a bad waitress in this film, yeah. but still, you're like, she's still the waitress you want, because if she's going to hit someone in the head with a tray, yep. I'm only going to think it's charming. Exactly. The thing about her, too, is like, yes, she's like slaying Carson. She's like hosting SNL from like a very early age, like really going hard in terms of like being around adults, which in a way, like, 
you might think like, oh, this is a little concerning. And for her, actually very concerning <laughs> because she dives full off the deep end yeah. and has like lived like a 40-year-old's life by the time she's 14. You know, like whenever we, we as a society, as a society mm-hmm. we as a culture mm-hmm. talk about like child actors that made it, I feel like we skip her. Maybe, maybe we don't, but maybe it's because she's had such a humongous, gigantic career that you almost forget that she was, that she like made it out of the childhood trauma acting days, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, she was the child star, but I think it is, like, a testament to her and how well she's done since... I mean, it was fully over for her. She was, like, a has-been yes. by the time she was, like, 16, 17, to the point where it was, like... Do you remember when she was... I think she's in, like, Batman Forever. Yeah. And that was, like, the biggest part she could get at the time. And then I think, like, minutes later, she starts booking, like... Scream, where she's so iconic, mm. and then The Wedding Singer is 97. So it's like 95, 96, 97, she's back. Right. But 92, 93, 94, she was out. Yeah, like the, those things where you were like, oh, what happened, you know? Yeah, like sort of like that Lindsay Lohan, I Know Who Killed Me era. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, she's taking what she can get at this point. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, she became your favorite actress. Yeah, and you know what I actually also watched last night? I was on HBO Max, as I'm love wont to HBO do, Max. and we I love mean, it every night, every day, every night. <laughs> it's the greatest. Can't imagine of all. being anywhere else. <laughs> it's the only streamer for me. Um, but I watched Wedding Singer, and then it was like I had searched for in the thing Drew Barrymore movies, and one of the ones that popped up was Grey Gardens. Oh, and I was yes. like, oh, I remembered that her little Edie was like iconic, and she had won awards for it, and people had said like, you know, if this was released in theaters, she may have won an Oscar. And so I watched yeah. that actually after. The Wedding Singer. And that was like even beyond charm. That was like actual like acting talent. This was like an actual transformation into Little Edie, which is so, it's hard to do anyway, but it must be really difficult when you yourself are already a really identifiable like person that everyone imitates. You know what I mean? Like you have a specific singular identity. Yeah. And then to take on a role like that, it's like, you know, not only is it difficult, but everyone's watching and waiting. Yeah, that's a really good point that like, it is, I would imagine, hard to be an actor when you are, I'm trying to think of somebody else. Who else is even like her? Who's like really identifiable that yeah. like, yet, yet like still, I mean, like, I guess we we sort of, you know, the thing, the thing that's interesting about someone like Meryl Streep is that, again, she also is like someone who like has like, an, like you can embody her. Right. But she still does disappear. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's to that extent with Drew, but it was just like a complete out of left field thing for someone who I think is sort of known as, oh, she's going to bring her singular Drew Barrymore charm. Like, yes, she's also got it. I mean, she's up there with Jessica Dam Lang. Yeah, I, I love I love an awards uh, campaign, <laughs> Drew Barrymore. That was a fun time, right? Yeah. I remember seeing her on Ellen, and Ellen was like, you would win an Oscar for this if it was released in theaters, Damn. and you're going to win an Emmy, which she didn't. Jessica Lange won the Emmy, but you could still you could still click on the movie and see an Emmy-winning performance, okay? Yeah, I love her. I love Drew Barrymore. I loved her when I was a little kid. I love her as an adult. It was so fun watching The Wedding Singer because I guess I almost forget how much I love her. Like, in the beginning, mm-hmm. I was watching the first couple scenes of her just going like, oh, she's Drew Barrymore. There's Drew Barrymore. Like, she's, it's this thing of like, she's so charming. Like, she could just be 
reading the dictionary, but she is a wonderful actor. She is such a good actor. Yeah. I mean, just the beginning when she's like out on the steps and she's like having a cigarette break or a drink break or whatever, and she'd hit someone in the head with a tray. And Yeah. Her reaction to doing that was so funny and charming. Like her yeah, mouth is opening like, oh, like oh. <laughs> genuine concern to the point yes, where you're like, yes. is was it improvised? Was it a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truly. She's just like living. I think like, Maybe one of her best qualities is she seems to be, like, so present. Like, I imagine that if you improvised anything with her, she would go with it. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but she seems so (laughs) freed. She's just, like, an open nerve. Yeah. What what am I trying to say? Yeah, she's open to it. Like, she's exposed in a way where it's, like, as a scene partner, like, you could do something small and she'd pick up on it because she's giving you all of her attention. Exactly, exactly. She seems very, very, very open. And and it seemed like, which is maybe one of the reasons that her and Adam Sandler are like magic together. Yeah, because he gives so much. Yeah. And also you get the sense that she is like sort of in love with him and he's definitely (laughs) in love with her in a real way. Like that that was like- Totally. And like, obviously another one of my favorites of hers is Fifty First Dates. Like I love Fifty First Dates. Me too. It's beautiful. The thing about The Wedding Singer too for me is it's like with Drew, there is like this- thing that she does, which I've I've often ascribed to someone like Kirsten Dunst, or I don't know, like anyone that makes it look so much easier than it actually is. Yeah. And so it's one thing to like appear on screen and also be that effortless and charming and for the camera to sort of love you as much as it is because she is sort of relentlessly adorable. Yeah. But there is that thing you have to learn as an actor where you have to kind of stop performing and start being and just start throwing it away and trusting that that's enough. Mm. Everything that she does is like really memorable because she's so singular on screen, but it is so thrown away. And that ease that she has with Adam Sandler, and I also want to compliment him too, because Me too. I, I know that like only as of recently, probably in the last like maybe 10 years, and he's probably been had a career for over 30 now, have people been like, okay, serious actor. Right. But there's so much in this movie that only he could do. You know what I, I mean? Totally like, agree. like the the song that he writes about his ex. Mm. It's so good. It's so, I mean, when that soundtrack came out, that was like the soundtrack to my my friends and my life. We listened to it. I was driving my mom's minivan all over town. We were listening to the shit out of that soundtrack. And a couple of his, you know, his songs were in it, that Mm -hmm. that X song. And then the, you know, I want to grow old with you song. And those were like hits. Those were hits to us. We were like singing along. Oh yeah, you remember the melodies. They're like, they're really good. Totally. Imagine he did Billy Madison and he did Happy Gilmore where he was playing these like big, gigantic, insane characters. And in this one, like if you watch, I know we're talking about Drew Barrymore, but here we go talking about Adam Sandler. No, we're talking about That's everything. the patriarchy. That's the mm-hmm. patriarchy. But I, um, like think of the scene where he's left at the altar. Like I was just going to bring that up. Matt. Like when, when, when she's like, it, there was a note and he was like, so it was a, ba- so it was a bad it's note. It's a bad note. He is underplaying the shit out of that. And he's doing like a lot in that moment. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's like, do you want me to make a statement or do you want me to talk to the audience or whatever? And he's like, eh, it's okay. Like that is very Barry Egan from Punch Drunk Love. Mm. So anyway, it's just like these sort of in a way that I imagine that the people on set with him were like, I don't know if he's doing enough. Like, yeah. you know, and then you see it on camera and or you see it on, on screen and it's just like incredible. Yeah, it's exploding. 
I'm a gigantic, gigantic Adam Sandler fan. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, nowhere is he better than with Drew Barrymore. I think they, no. I think what you said, like they are, they have, like their souls are in love with each other and, and it really comes out on screen. It's like a classic screen pairing. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it really is. And I guess he also has that with Jennifer Aniston. So that makes me feel like maybe he just, maybe it's just a what a guy, um, you know, circumstance because yeah. he does. And also, you know, what's funny with Jennifer Aniston too is I would put her in a Drew Barrymore category as well of like super identifiable yeah. off screen, but like then brings it in a way that's super easy. And like, obviously the world falls in love with her, but there yeah. is something about like, the way they both sort of really come alive and also keep doing projects with Adam Sandler in a way that's like, oh, there's got to be something there. But I'm really happy you brought that scene up because it really is. He is just like, in a big comedy like this, and, you know, we've seen Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, like we've seen him do huge in a way that like, I think sometimes with Adam Sandler, people are like, he's an acquired taste. Like, not everyone loves that. But then in this movie, it's like, it's almost channeled in a way where it's like, he's giving a genuine performance of this guy that's like, excited to get married, really positive. You have no, and he never tips that it's going to be, go one way or the other. And then it happens. So it really is heartbreaking. And then his like, Yes, his big, you know, displays of anger, like they work and they're they hit comedically. And they're but they're few and far between. They're yes. not that many. And what works for me the best is when he's like, Oh, I don't really know. I'm kind of feeling this sort of way. And then the quiet rage comes yes. out. And for yeah. me, it's like for me, the song where he plays the song he's written about Linda, his ex to Drew Barrymore, like the one where it's like, put a bullet in my head. Because not it's, only is it good acting. He's singing down. I mean, the man can sing. And that is the thing. It's giving Springsteen. He truly is an incredible singer. And I would almost recommend revisiting his old albums, but I actually wouldn't recommend it because they are so of the time and maybe a little holding up. Yeah. (laughs) But I remember at the time being like, God, he sounds like George Michael. Like this guy can damn (laughs) sing. See, that's the thing though. I think with like comedians too, it's like I think none of us at the beginning think of ourselves as like a singer. And then because you're like a committed performer, I, this is what I, I would guess. It's like, I don't think he's like a trained singer. Right. What I would think is that he's like a sketch comedy actor who was like, oh, no, I'm going to commit all the way. And then maybe found out he could sing at some point. But then I actually remember this, and this is a throwback story. So I went to school at NYU and so did he, but years before me. And we actually shared a teacher. Her name was Liz Suedos. And so she taught this class called Political Snorts, which was like (laughs) this like political cabaret where the students would come and they would write uh, music and sketches and songs and they'd perform it. And it was like a a class where there was like a cabaret at the end of the year and like the faculty and students could come, but it was like a competitive class to get into. And I remember... Liz told me one day that he was a student in that class back in like the 90s when he went to school at NYU. And one of the pieces that he brought in to that class was the Hanukkah song. Whoa! So this was actually something that he had written when he was in college. Whoa! And, you know, she admitted, she's since passed, she was a giant. She was an amazing, like, figure in New York theater, but underground. Mm -hmm. Um, But she told me, she was like, it actually didn't make our cabaret because I didn't get it. Oh, interesting. And I was like, that's so funny. And, like, that is a testament, too, to, like, 
sticking with your comedic voice yeah. and staying committed because you know how many pieces do we write as like comedians coming up that we then toss away we kill so many of our babies especially if a teacher yeah that you really respect is like yeah, maybe this doesn't work nah. yeah and then it became like one of the biggest holiday comedy songs of all time maybe the biggest oh i love that no it was really cool it, it, that, yeah. that was one of that was one of those things where i was like oh wow like you know like maybe there is something to being in this class <laughs> Yeah, you're like, excuse me. I could be writing the Hanukkah song right here. I also like that she told that story and she's like the, you know, she's sort of the the fool in that story. She's, yeah. she's the one who made the mistake. She's not like claiming that I'm the one who came up with that idea, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so anyway, anyway, we're, 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 I, 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 uh... <laughs> so Drew Barrymore. <laughs> it's good to be on the Adam Sandler train because the Adam Sandler train very much is the Drew Barrymore train. Yeah. I was just going to say something I heard recently that maybe you also heard is that um, Drew asked that she didn't hear the last song, the the I Want to Grow Old With You, until it was live. What I just heard is that her reaction in the movie was her hearing it for the first time. I love that. And also, that's so her. It's so damn her. Like she, you know, she is, um, she said something like she, she's not a good enough actress to like react to. First of all, whatever. Of course, self-deprecating. No, but there is something method about her though. Like I, yeah. I get this from her. I get, cause she is from like an old school family, the openness. Like she was like, no, yeah. I want to. Cause also if you ever, if you ever read about Scream, like, so she was supposed to play the Nev Campbell, the Sydney role in Scream. And then I think Didn't something, oh yeah, no, she was cast as the lead. And then something happened with scheduling, but she was like, to be honest with you, wouldn't she was her idea. She was like, wouldn't it be funny and surprising yeah. if I played the girl who dies in the first scene, Casey? Amazing. And they were like, oh, that's actually an angle we hadn't thought about. We were just thinking, you know, you'd be the lead because you're the most famous person at yeah. this point that we're going to cast. And she was like, no, 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 but wouldn't that be interesting? And, and then they just marketed it at first like she was the star of oh, it. genius. And so then she obviously iconically dies in the first six or seven minutes and it's like film history. Right. And the surprise for people at that time in 1995, 1996, whenever it was being seen, like, was, holy shit, Drew Barrymore just died, now anyone can die. Yeah, but yeah. But that, that, I had heard that the way that they kept her crying and upset was she's like a fierce animal lover. So Wes Craven, another uh, late great, would, during stop downs, he would come over and like whisper in her ear animal cruelty stories. <laughs> and she would be sobbing and so yeah. upset. And they were like, at any point, do you want us to stop? And she was like, no, it's working. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And it resulted in this insane performance. So, th so that makes sense to me that you say that. Yes, I love that. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Actors. <laughs> and I also think, like, in a romantic comedy, it's so important. What I always say, like, Sandra Bullock and Julia Roberts are so good at is they're so good at receiving adoration. Like, that moment at the end of a romantic comedy where someone gets told <laughs> that they're the object of someone's the love. The girl, yeah, exactly. Oh my God, just like, and Drew Barrymore is so good in that scene when he comes through the curtain on the in the plane Ugh. and she sees him and she's like, oh my God, this is happening all the Ugh. way through to the end. Like, Chills. she is so good as like an audience stand-in who yes, yes. we so desperately want to be that adorable person receiving the love. Like, she's doing it for us. You're so right. Yeah, she really is that for us. I mean, I wonder if that's part of it. I mean, she's such, she is like, it's funny that she is this, absolute Hollywood royalty, not just because of her career, but like you said, because of her family. But she is somehow, she like lives in the clouds, yet somehow we feel like we 
connect with her. So she is us. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Like now she has like a daytime talk show because like, I think in, in, She's in so daytime relatable. talk. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's I know. like in daytime talk right now, we're very much in the era of relatable queen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like Kelly's so huge on daytime. Yeah. Now we have Drew, Jennifer Hudson's out there. And I feel like they all speak to their audiences in a way where it's like, I started from the bottom, now we're here, like mm-hmm. the American mm-hmm. Idol of it all. Yeah. But then it's like, it's funny that Drew is giving relatable <laughs> when she's totally. literally from the jump been legacy, yeah. but yet she's still presented as relatable queen because of her energy. Yeah, it's her energy, totally. Yeah, and she's so like empathetic and in touch with people. And yeah, she's she is um, she's one in a million. There's a part where um, you can like see her and Adam Sandler, the characters like fall in love. It's at her engagement party to the guy. Yes. And, okay, so there's the limo driving best friend or whatever. Yeah. Who's in all of Adam Sandler's movies. They both sort of make fun of him. Mm-hmm. And they, like, team up together. Yeah, because because Adam Sandler tells her, oh, you know, when he first met oh, you, yes. he said he was going to give it to you. And she's like, oh, are you going to give it to me? What, you're not going to give it to me anymore? And they're, like, having so much fun. Exactly. And I think in the script... I mean, the, all praise maybe be to Hurley himself, but but like I think in the script it's just a funny little a funny little um, joke. But they like use it Elevate in a moment to, to yeah. They it's like it's there's just a lot going on in this movie. I, I adore this movie, and I also I know this is about Drew Barrymore, but find me a performance in this movie that isn't like at a 11 baby yeah like Steve Buscemi Linda oh Steve Buscemi is so great Christine Taylor playing the iconic like harlot best friend we love her John Lovett's amazing and I am reaping all the benefits and that slow goes with the curtain (laughs) my little sister Miranda and I say I'm reaping all the benefits once a week (laughs) (laughs) oh wow I'm so happy I picked you for this movie then I know I know I really do like this is a you know, the other thing is I'm actually not like a huge romantic comedy fan. I want to be. Really? I know. I, I mean, I've kind of like seen them all, but I tend to roll my eyes. I have a really hard time if I don't believe that like the characters would be in love. Mm. Or the other thing is if there's an easy, you know, there's always like the thing that goes wrong. And if it's an easy fix, I'm like, fix it. Just fix it. Just talk to each other and fix it. But this has the great thing of like misunderstandings that you believe. Like yes. the, the best friend telling Adam that she's only in it for the money and then him going and seeing her in the wedding dress, not realizing that she's actually imagining him. Yeah, All these that. like perfect little misunderstandings that you believe they would, they couldn't explain out of, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's that thing that happens in romantic comedies where it feels like sometimes the screenplay sort of needs them to fight and so they're fighting. Yeah. Whereas this movie, it's like, you're watching it and you're like, oh no, like, I know. I, I get it. I understand it. Yeah. And I was watching it and I actually thought to myself at that part where he walks up and sees her in the mirror, I was like, I wonder if on the page they were worried about this mm-hmm. because it's a lot to assume is going to come across. You know what I mean? Yes. But then like in their performances. I know. And, and, and in what they've achieved thus far in like convincing us of the certain relationship and also of the ways in which their characters like do and do not like come all the way or like what yeah. it's just very it's really smart in terms of the relationship. Yes. And then when they come back together, you're like, oh thank God, because can you imagine? Yes. The iconic scene in the movie, and there are a lot, but for me. Like, I remember before I had ever seen this movie, I remember watching the MTV Movie Awards. 
And they iconically have their category for best kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 1998, it was nominated and they did. They won the award for best kiss at the MTV Movie Awards. And these were their competitors. Okay, okay. I'm so excited. Joey Lauren Adams and Carmen Llewellyn for Chasing Amy. Okay, so that was people being obsessed with the lesbian kiss, which MTV Movie Awards were very much. Okay. Similarly, Kevin Klein and Tom Selleck, In and Out, iconic gay kiss. Yeah. Get this. Leo and Kate, Titanic. Wow. <laughs> and Matt Damon and Minnie Driver, Goodwill Hunting. And I'm sorry. Oh, wow. But if you're looking at that on face value and you say, hey, in 1998, what won the MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss? And you think about Leo and Kate on the top of that ship. And then when she turns around and they kiss, how could you ever think that someone something would beat that? Mama, watch The Wedding Singer. You look at the charm and the connection and the chemistry between yes. them in, these, in this scene. Like, Drew Barrymore's dopey little face when she pulls away from him. Uh-huh. I'm like, this is the best kiss. And that's my first memory of this movie. Yes, yes, yes. That is a great scene. They really do it. They really do it so well. And it's such, it's Christine Taylor being like, you're just friends. Or like, what's the big deal? You're both adults. We're all adults Just here. what would the kiss be like? Just do it. It's a yeah. great scene. Yes. It's really good. And also, it's like, again, it's one of those things where it's like on the page, you're sort of looking at it and being like, yeah, and we assume they'll get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you. this is the power of a movie star. You need people with that thing yeah. that are going to get that across. And they so do. And also just like, I remember, like I obviously at the time had never done a kiss. Okay. And so I was thinking like, I, I, of course, because I was, I think, eight. A child. Yeah. So I was like thinking, okay, yeah, that is the perfect kiss. Like <laughs> closed mouth, but a little bit open, just a little bit of tongue, church tongue. Yeah, yeah. Why say. do they also say, they also say thin. They go thin <laughs> kiss, thin, thin kiss, kiss a little. I'm like, I don't ever want a thin kiss in I my life. I want thin kiss. I want my kisses yeah. to be full, but I agree yes. with them about the amount of tongue. Never too much yeah, yeah, tongue. Yeah. Whenever people Ew, do wait. too much tongue, I'm always like, what is going on with you tonight? Wait, okay. So too much tongue in general or on when you're getting married? <laughs> well, first of all, when I'm getting married, which who knows if it'll ever happen, but certainly don't tongue me in front of my friends, family, and God. Please don't tongue me in, fr- in front of my friends and family. You can tongue me in front of God. <laughs> if this was Lost Culture, I would say title of ep. <laughs> <laughs> rule of culture. <laughs> the rule of culture. You can tongue me in front of God. But yeah, no, there was that little tender moment and that beautiful, yeah. like, and it was also lit so well. It was like the gorgeous day. Yeah. And, like their pink and purple um, room that they're, mm-hmm. the, the, the like house is. And then the, I mean, God, I could honestly tell, I wish this was two hours because like <laughs> just the, the taking it through the best friend wanting to then date him after yeah. seeing the kiss and how subtle that was with like Drew, you know, Drew not wanting to be a bad friend or, or well, she's about to get married. So how could she even be jealous or mad? And just like the subtle rage that she had there. And again, I know this is a movie from, from the 90s. So I know there are some things in it that we sort of wish we could just simply cut out. Yeah, we just, but that's being, and that's, that's the 90s. Yeah. And also, by the way, not that much. It's not that much, but it is all in the first 15 minutes. It I will is, say it that. Sure like, is. I turned it on. And you know what else I, I had watched on this uh, for this podcast? I had watched the movie She's All That. Uh huh. I listened with with Pat Regan. Yes. So that's also of this like direct time period. So I was like thinking to myself, you know, it's really just this time. But it is like, like what was bumming me out was like all the Alexis Arquette stuff. There was the stuff where they where the audience would be like creeped out. Yeah, they were like grossed out by by Alexis Arquette's like state of being. Right. But then also there was the like, um, Alexis got to be the funny one a lot, like playing mm-hmm. all the instruments and 
like basically if they'd cut out the like creeped out audience, I think it would work so much better for us now. Yes, I think that they thought, oh, we need to, you know, show. Well, look, let's just call it what it is. Like it's yeah. it's homophobic. It's a little transphobic. I mean, like it's fully for sure. But that would just existed in comedy at the time. And right. so I think they thought like, let's cut to the reactions of the crowd because the audience is going to be doing the same thing at home. Meanwhile, right. now here we are watching it in 2022. And Alexis Arquette was actually trans. And, you know, dealt with a lot of demons about that and is no longer with us. So I think that's why watching it is a little bit like, huh. And, Mm. you know, I think obviously in the reboot we'll get of this, um, we'll rethink that character and maybe it can be a little bit of a different joke. But it's that. It's like, obviously, like, it's a lot of casual misogyny in terms of, like, Drew Barrymore just gets felt up by the kid. Yeah. Oh, I hate that part. Truly hate that part. Yeah. I mean, like, then they kind of make it better with everyone touching each other's butts. Yeah. But, like... I imagine, like, being an actress, like, you get this part, and then you're doing it, and then they're like, okay, and here's the scene where you get fondled by a kid and everyone watches. Yes. And your reaction is, of course, oh, can you believe it? It's like, Uh no, uh I don't know. It might be a little bit more uncomfortable than that. Yeah, I know, I know. It's so interesting. It's so of its time, too. It's just the 90s. Yeah, it's funny. I I think for a 90s movie, it's not that bad. Even that bad, which is psychotic Mm -hmm. and sad. And we're still dealing with the ramifications all these years later. We're still dealing with the ramifications. But that being said, I sort of on this podcast always take it back. You know, I always try to take back the narrative. And here on this pod, I do have an iconic segment, if I do say so myself. It's called, But How Is It a Queer Narrative? So basically what I do, Darcy, is I look at these films. I, I, I really study them with my critical eye and I pull how they are a queer narrative. And I say those things over a techno beat. So please hit my track. Cameos, volume in the hair, an effortless charm despite a bad haircut, performance, vocals, mmm, baby. When you can no longer speak, you simply must sing. Christine Taylor being in the movie. I can get hotter and younger too. If we're being honest, gay guys, a lot of casual misogyny. Okay, and that is how this movie is a queer narrative. Darcy, you sort of like, and I don't know if you really understand this. I'm sure you do because of probably the amount of, and the volume of responses you get from League of Their Own, but you being the queer icon that you are, what did I miss? How else is this film a queer narrative, if you had to say? Um, Okay, um, let's see. Um... She, just so you know, everyone, she's she's using her fingers to search through the air. <laughs> I really am. Let me get past the cobwebs of the of the straight '90s to get through. Yeah, it's giving UCB uh, iconic improv <laughs> scene where there's like having to travel through a tomb. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there is something about like just the music of the '80s and the big hair and the makeup, which you touched on. Yes, but um, nobody in this movie has just woken up and taken a shower and gone on with their day. Everybody's worked on their hair, worked on their look, worked on their makeup. Presentation. Yeah. Presentation. Cultivation. Yeah. Also, Boy George being referenced. For sure. Even Billy Idol being referenced because something gay about him. Again, like, you know, he's wearing full eye makeup. Oh, yeah. He was great, right? He was so good. Having a full beat and just killing it like that. Yes. 
in that sexy voice. Yeah, he really was. And also, I think that I had a different appreciation for him, his cameo in this now than I did when I was younger because I didn't know really who it was. But also, just the whole Billy Idol thing of him being like, uh-huh. "Yeah, I'm gonna come do this and like and pretend in, in a world where I I like obviously look a lot older than I was in the movie, right? Because they just show White Wedding, the video, too. Like, right, And then he's right. there, like, scheming. I loved it. This is another little, just the teeniest, tiniest little bite of perfectness. Adam Sandler singing the song in the plane. Well, where did he get that guitar? Well, of course, Billy Idol was on the <gasps> plane. So the, even even the the on the um, guitar, it says, like, Billy Idol or something. So I just, that's the type of thing, like, that, that movie, this movie does that all the way down. Mm-hmm. Everything is justified. Planted and justified. Um, I'm trying to think of other queer narrative stuff, and there's just not a lot with this movie. No, this is the hardest one I had to put together, actually. Interesting, like- <laughs> interesting. Um, now, listen, uh, Darcy Carden, if you don't know, you're living under a rock, but... League of Their Own on Amazon Prime. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention HBO Max's own, or HBO really, but HBO HBO Max via HBO's own Goddamn Barry. Goddamn Barry. Darcy Carden, I mean, look, this is this was a Drew Barrymore level avalanche of charm like you always <laughs> deliver. And I thank you, as always, for gracing this podcast. I love you. And I... Adore you and love you the most. Wait, just before we go, can we just have a moment for Drew Barrymore's mouth? Thank you, sideways. What is it? Is it is it is it that she talks out of a side of her mouth? The lips are so gorgeous. I, I could draw her lips. And the, and it's a little bit of a we're just doing a little bit of an Elvis lip. A little bit of an Elvis lip. And also I will say this. Imagine this. Which I would say her mouth and the way she speaks, very modern, right? Mm-hmm. But that silent movie star old film face. I know. You know what I mean? Like she has that like, and this is another thing. Y'all watch Great Gardens because it is probably her best acting performance. And you get why she is of the dynasty of the Barrymores. Like she really brings it. She gives it. So that's my recommendation that I'll end this episode on. And I'll kiss each and every person listening on the forehead and whisper to you in Drew's voice, which I'll attempt to do now. I love you. And thank you so much for watching. All right, that's it for this episode. Come back in two weeks for a new app on The Bodyguard with Kevin Cosner and the incredible Whitney Houston. You don't look like a bodyguard. What'd you expect? Well, I don't know. Maybe a tough guy. This is my disguise. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed HBO Max Movie Club, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might get your podcasts. Thanks for joining the HBO Max Movie Club. The movies we talked about today are currently available on HBO Max. Check the show notes for exact streaming dates. HBO Max Movie Club is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio, hosted by me, Matt Rogers. Our executive producer is Matt Stillo. Our producer is Sierra Kaiser, and today's episode was written and researched by Kate Voss. Thanks, everybody.